Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 44. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 22nd episode of season two, Die Me Dichotomy. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Die Me Dichotomy. The crew takes Moya to a planet where a known healer is based. Their goal is to somehow heal the burnt part of Moya's interior. John, meanwhile, is losing a battle with the neural clone and becomes a hybrid John slash Scorpius with deadly results for Aaron. The season two finale. And oh my God, everything hurts. I mean, everything. This is such a good season finale, bringing together John's storyline with the neural chip to its climax and him losing control and losing himself. And at the same time, it is completely brutal and no punches are pulled and hope has basically left the building. And basically this episode is amazing and also terrible at the same time because it just, it just keeps pummeling you with all the worst things that can happen. And then they do. So that's the conclusion (laughs) of season two. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely, the ending of this episode feels a lot different than the ending of season one, because season one kind of ended on this like really desperate, you know, are they going to make it? And the, you know, but then we also kind of knew they were going to make it. Yeah. Season two ends with Aaron dead. Like Aaron (laughs) is completely dead. They have had her funeral. (laughs) They have effectively buried her. It's awful. Like this whole episode. I mean, don't get me wrong. When I say awful and terrible and everything, I'm just like emotionally I'm crying on the inside and actually did cry during this episode. Again, even though I've seen it, I don't know how many times, but it is really hard to watch because it is the logical culmination of so many things and they are earning their stripes here as being a serious sci-fi show with like serious consequences for people's actions. And actions do not happen in a vacuum here. And they have brought together this whole arc of John and Scorpius from this whole season where he's slowly losing his mind to its conclusion. And you just see John behaving as Scorpius would because the neural clone has taken over his body. And we, the audience, know, but the crew doesn't know. And and you just see them get hurt and you see everybody get hurt. So even though there's this underlying current of, of we're going to get Moya some help and heal her and we're going to get John some help and heal him, it's really tough to watch. Mm-hmm. That's my conclusion. It's just really tough. Yeah, this is definitely one of those episodes of Farscape that's like drama with a dash of comedy, you know? And yeah, there is there is something very operatic about this, where characters get what they want, but it's not quite, and where the and where anything good that ever happens always happens at a great cost, and where things are just horrible, not because anybody is a bad person, but just because that is how the universe works. Except Scorpius. Except for Scorpius, who apparently <laughs> is made of Teflon. Yeah. Uh, okay. Don't get me wrong. I love Scorpius's character, but uh, watching him take over, so tough. Anyway, so they have arrived at this planet where there's a doctor, surgeon, diagnosian, and his henchman, because he doesn't speak in a way that's that easy to understand by translator microbes. Yeah. And actually him not being able to speak via translator microbes makes for some interesting moments. Because, for example... Yeah. 
when the henchman is quoting the price, he's kind of like, <laughs> he's kind of like, oh yeah, it'll be 14,000. And then the doctor calls him over and he says something. And then the henchman comes back and he's like, hey, well, you know, he's being a real stickler and he always says I undercharge. Now it's 15. Yeah. And so you are, but you are quite sure what the doctor actually said. I kind of get the sense that the doctor is like, why are you charging them so much? And because you can kind of hear it. I went back and listened to it. You can kind of hear under that conversation. So you have Aaron and Dargo on one side talking about how it's a ripoff. And then you have in the background, Grunschleck and the Diagnosian talking. And you can only hear Grunschleck's side of the conversation, but he's saying something to the effect of, well, you can't run that facility without me. And so it really feels like he's the one dragging up the price. And from looking at him, I mean, he's eating all the time. He's schlubby. He's got... He's just really a gross person. Mm-hmm. He's got like crumbs in his in his little bits of beard. He's got unwashed hair. He's smarmy. He's like that used car salesman, except he's in control of the price of a really good doctor mm-hmm. in a part of the universe that doesn't have very many good doctors. You you could believe it that he's the one driving up the price. Yeah, I mean, I would because the doctor we hear very few words from, but he seems like a nice enough guy, you know. Yeah. And and also, I mean, Aaron definitely does pick up on the fact that this guy is a used car salesman. Like she is the one that's telling Dargo, like, I don't trust him. And Dargo's like, the doctor? And she's like, No. <laughs> his I forget the word she uses. It's like his his con not consort, what is it? His confederate. confederate. Yeah, his confederate. Yeah. So the doctor's there initially to assess Moya's burned areas, and they've, they're going to have this gas infusion for her that's going to go on. And it's basically like burn salve over and over again to help stimulate the healing and, and get her back on her feet, as it were, mm-hmm. if she had feet. And so while they're there, they're going to also have him look at John, because John, as we all know, and as we hinted, as you've probably seen, is really, really losing it. Mm-hmm. And he is in his quarters and he is staring at the mirror and who is staring back from the mirror scorpius Mm -hmm. and so he punches the mirror and the mirror doesn't go away so he punches it again and he punches it again and again and again and and finally aaron has to like pull him physically away from the wall and we are at the point where what john is seeing is no longer just little flashes out of the corner of his eye it is now like persistent hallucinations Mm -hmm. of scorpius that he cannot shake and he cannot deny. And Aaron says, you have to fight this. You have to fight this. But he he literally cannot because his brain is turning against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that the interesting part of that conversation is that Aaron sees it as a weakness, whereas obviously it's not a weakness. Like John literally has this you know, thing in his brain. And later on, we actually see his brain because like the doctor has something that exposes the brain without like visually. So you can see what's going on. And you see just this black webbing throughout his brain of like Scorpius's control. So I think that what Aaron is kind of saying is like, you need to get it together. You need to be strong. You need to get this under control. And she's not really seeing that John is strong. He's still the John she knows, but this is just too much for him to bear. This is too much for anybody to bear. Yeah, it's like it's like telling a depressed person to just snap out of it. No, there is a chemical imbalance there. Mm-hmm. You cannot just snap out of depression when you when you have it. And so he finally just kind of like gives in, but he's not really giving in because Scorpius is taking control. And then the the visuals on this are awesome. They have Ben Browder in Scorpius's costume. Mm-hmm. 
And so he and he affects the voice that Wayne Pigram done, who's the Scorpio, uh, who's the actor who plays Scorpius. And you read the audience, see Scorpius take control of John in this manifestation that we can see, but that no one else does. And it is super creepy. Super creepy. So the creepy John slash Scorpius hybrid ends up going to um, going to do some work and Pilot informs Aaron that he is creating a signal that Pilot cannot read. And when Aaron goes to confront him, he's like, oh, it's to listen to Grace. And she's like, yeah, I don't really believe that. You need to stop. And I yep. want to play the quote. Pilot says you're reconfiguring a comm signal outside his control. I want to eavesdrop on Grace's radio traffic without him knowing about it. I still don't trust him, Aaron. Grace and Talon saved our lives. They saved yours. Look, Aaron, if you're worried about the inside my head don't he's under house arrest remember what you said strength that's great john but you need to stop what you're doing aaron as long as i stay busy he leaves me alone sometimes if i sing he leaves me alone Once the diagnosis finished with Moya, he's going to take a look at you. What help? I am reminded at this point of a word that you actually brought to this vessel. Hope. I would be lost without you. Then you'll never be lost. No matter what happened, you have worked your way into my heart. You've shown me that I have one. There's so much going on there. I think we could literally spend an hour just unpacking that one quote. I want to point out that this is John again singing Ride of the Valkyries, which we heard from Crackers Don't Matter when he was beginning to crack up, as it were. <laughs> and I love a good pun. There's something about this Aaron here who's just so emotionally available. This is the Aaron that I think all season long John has been longing to have. And when mm-hmm. she finally appears... It is not to him. It is to Scorpius John Hybrid. Yes. And that is what's so really hard about this scene because it really is the first time John and Aaron have literally said the words, I love you to each other. And it is something that fans were longing for the entire time. And it's like, you know, be careful what you wish for because here it is. And it is Aaron and Scorpius John. And it is an emotional ploy by Scorpius to manipulate her into letting her guard down so that he can knock her out. You hear that in the in the music that 
plays along with it. Like as that scene progresses, we get the creepy, 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 something bad's going to happen music at the end of it when Aaron says, I love you. And then after she gets knocked out, you see Scorpius in his mask or John in his Scorpius mask and he licks her face and it is just so gross and so not John Crichton, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's just oh, it's deeply disturbing. And that's why this episode is so hard to watch because you have all these potentially great relationship moments going on and they are all twisted, wrong, and Scorpius tainted. Mm-hmm. But I think the interesting thing here to note is is the language that Scorpius John is using because I don't think this is just Scorpius taking over John's brain. We've kind of been talking about the influence of the chip over the past few episodes and I I honestly don't think it's that Scorpius himself is taking over John's brain. I think it really is that Scorpius is just influencing John's brain, that Scorpius is putting his emotions and his actions, and he's kind of forcing them into John's brain so that John's own personality kind of wraps that up in who he is, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Because the hybrid, it is like a John, but just a John with like this overlay of Scorpius. Yeah, yeah. No, I like I like how you put it that way because it is clear that Scorpius is taking what he what John has there within himself, mm-hmm. and we see it later on with the piloting of the module. Mm-hmm. You know, he says John learned how to fly an atmosphere, and that's who he's using. So, so yeah, I like that it's an overlay. It's uh, a distortion of who of John underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and I think what really solidified it for me is that moment when John is like that's my girl or, or, you know, mm-hmm. she's my girl, something like that, because that, those are not words that would ever come out of Scorpius's mouth, even though they're said with Scorpius's accent. Yeah. So this marks the, the first part of John being taken prisoner by his crew for his own protection. So Jothi and Dargo, who, whose relationship we'll get back to in a minute, they come in and they basically do like a crossfire tonguing of John to knock him out, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Luxon tongue. So they get him under control. And even though he is restrained and they take him down to get assessed by the diagnosian, and when he comes back and all you start to you know, you see the influence of, of Scorpius in him, his friends still don't fully believe he's gone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because later with Zan, you know, he convinces her he's he's restrained still. He convinces her to, hey, join me in unity so that I can send a message to my dad. And Zan's like, okay, you're physically restrained. That's all I have to worry about. Not realizing that the mental component is just as compromised and even more so compromised than they believe. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a, it's like, it's like, yes, they know he's compromised by Scorpius's influence, but they don't realize the extent of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. The reason that Scorpius and Jothi both go after John in the first place is that the thing that John was playing with is he released like a special signal that was only known to peacekeepers that were a captain and above. So Crace hears the signal and is immediately like, call the ship, something bad's going on. And so it's kind of like Scorpius knows the signal. So then John knows the signal. So when they go down to the planet and they have the diagnosis, look at John, it's Crace and Stark there. And Crace is kind of like, oh, I'm here for moral support, you know? And, <laughs> and also, I don't know, I think partially to, you know, check out his rival for Aaron's affections. And even Crace is horrified at the visible influence that Scorpius's neural chip has had on John's brain, because it just looks almost like a cancerous growth 
over so much of John's gray matter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really disturbing to look at. I mean, I know it's, it's embedded within the, the folds of his brain and it's all around the outside of it. And it's just such a, I think it's just a really great visual for showing the, the pervasiveness of Scorpius's hold on him. It's not just one aspect of his personality or coming out in these different little things. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So John, yeah, gets back up on the ship and Zan goes into unity with him. And, and apparently, like, Scorpius is some sort of also equally powerful. This is a part where I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I love Scorpius, the badass villain who is completely unbeatable. But I'm like, does he have to be good at everything? You know, yes, like he has to be good at everything. Because apparently he's also good at like at unity, which whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, here's my take on that. That the neural clone is only an entity of the mind. Mm-hmm. And maybe the real life Scorpius wouldn't be able to do this because whatever, but this is like he is concentrated and only only uses the brain. And if we we think of him as an overlay of John, John knows how to do unity, and so he's mm-hmm. influencing that. Okay, that's I true. don't know. Hand wave, hand wave. Hand wave, hand wave. <laughs> so Zan is knocked out, and John is now free. And now comes the horrible, awful part of the episode, because yeah. John gets in a module, and he starts projecting out towards Scorpius, and Aaron gets in her prowler and goes after him. Yeah, and it's it's uh it's hard. So Aaron's the one with the guns. She's the one who's like I'm going to have to shoot you down if you don't bring John back to the John hybrid. On the comms, Dargo is like, "Aaron, you realize you're going to have to shoot him down. Don't hesitate." And she's like, "Yes, I know that." And Dargo's line back to Aaron is, "You know, I know if our positions were reversed, I would find it very hard to shoot on John Crichton." Mm-hmm. And I find that just really a touching note from Dargo, recognizing that this really is their friend that they are having to go after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot wrapped up in that line because. In season one, for the first few episodes, we talked so much about Dargo and Aaron becoming friends. But then very quickly after that, Dargo and John became very, very good friends. And here it kind of goes back to that place of them both respecting each other, of both Dargo and Aaron respecting each other and being able to warrior to warrior tell each other like it is. And Mm -hmm. this is Dargo essentially being like, I get this is hard but you can't blink on this one. Yeah. And also kind of being a support for her, like saying, I know this is hard. I'm with you on the decision. Mm -hmm. Like you're not alone in making this decision kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause it, in that way, maybe it reminds me a little bit of they've got a secret Mm -hmm. where it's kind of like, we all have to make this decision to kill a crewmate. Yeah. In that case, Moya, but in this case it's John. And, you know, Dargo's got, and, you know, so Dargo is giving her that support of, you're not alone in this. Yeah, it's not all on you, especially since it is a man that Aaron is in love with at this point. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, she's the one in the prowler because she's the one with, with the skills to take him down. But it's, it's a heartbreaking situation to be in. And it just, mm-hmm. it gets even more heartbreaking. So what happens is they have back and forth with Scorpius John about coming in. And Scorpius is like, sure, I'll land. And then he lands right on top of Aaron's prowler, basically disabling it. And so she has to eject. And things just get worse from there. And I'm just going to play the clip that happens at the end. 
over ice and her her ejection seat melts the ice and she crashes into the water and she can't get out of her harness and you hear john scream and you hear Crace scream and you hear dargo scream and you see rigel and shiana and zan all in shock and she goes under the water mm-hmm. well i'll point out that shiana and jothy are hugging yes that's, that's- what you see that's what you see. And we'll get back Which, to Shiana and Jothi later when we hit that storyline. Yeah, uh, this scene kills me every this single time. This is where time. I started bawling again. So if you cried, don't worry. We were crying too. Yeah, <laughs> that was really upsetting. I think, okay, so in Look at the Princess, we were kind of talking about how John recognizes no-win scenarios and mm-hmm. Aaron doesn't. Like, it's really hard for Aaron to look at any situation and be like, there are no options. You know, her thing is if there are no options then I will kill myself kind of thing. Yeah. But here she is the one that's telling John, there's no other option. And John keeps telling her, you need to get out. You need to get out. And she's like, how? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the difference is that he was the one in the no one situation and look at the princess and she wasn't. And mm-hmm. here she is the one in that position. And I think when it's you in that situation, it's a lot easier to recognize because when it's the other person and you are left helpless, like the only thing you can do is try to do things or try to get them to do things. Even if there is no way or nothing for them to do, that helplessness translates into not giving up. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, there's literally nothing she can do and even less time to do it in because she's falling. Yeah, that's a good point. It's kind of the perspective of like who is in the situation. Yeah. And Yeah. yeah, I think that the, the interesting thing is here she can't even bring herself to say again, I love you. Mm-hmm. You know, she has to make a reference to it. She can't yeah. even, she doesn't have the strength kind of to bring it up again. Yeah. And the other heartbreaking thing about that is earlier when John was kind of back to himself, John was like, are you mad at me about something? Because she was really angry at him. And she's like, you really don't remember? And mm-hmm. he's like, no. <laughs> Yeah, and that must have been hard for her. I mean, how how much courage does it take to say I love you to somebody the first time, which it takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. And and then to not have him remember and then know that he is being possessed or influenced by Scorpius on top of that and losing that moment that they had together. Mm-hmm. And just knowing that he doesn't fully remember, but he must know something's going on here when when she says that when she's falling. It's just really hard. Mm-hmm. I think both for Aaron and for John and for us as viewers, too. Yeah, yeah. So Aaron falls in the water and Crace and Dargo both have her position. So they manage to rescue her body. Mm-hmm. 
And then they have a funeral for her. Yeah. Let's go back just a little bit to Aaron and Crace's relationship because Crace is completely wrecked by her death. Like he also has like a death cry of, of anguish. And afterwards when he's talking about Aaron, he's really broken up about it. And the scene right before Aaron goes off in the Prowler, it was actually one between her and Crace. He and Talon have invited her aboard to make her an offer. And it kind of mirrors the previous episode, Lions, Guns, and Money, when Aaron offers them something. But here they are offering her, and I'm just going to play it. Unlike your institutional upbringing, my parents were compassionate, moral, emotional. I value those traits. They're beginning to emerge in you. Crichton may not survive. Moya may be permanently crippled. The others are contemplating their next move. You're an officer and a strategist. Have you not planned yours? Sounds like you have a suggestion. This ship, this emotional ship needs guidance. Talon has chosen you. And I agree with his choice. There is much that you can learn that will surprise you. What? Oh. Crichton. Relay us to pilot. Crichton, why won't you frowning answer? Aaron, don't come after me. I'm not in control. You will not shoot him down, Talon. Crichton is broadcasting on location to Scorpius again. He must be stopped. Track me. Oh, and Crace. Thank you. What I like about that, and I find really interesting, is we talked about in Mind the Baby how Aaron originally was going to go with Crace to mitigate any influence Crace had on Talon and to be an emotional support for him. And Crace and both and Talon both rejected that. And then here you have them accepting that again. And we talked about a little bit last episode where there's they've come a long way from that first episode in their relationship with, with Aaron. And they want her to come with them this time. Crace mm-hmm. is yeah. framing it as he's emotional. He needs a studying emotional support. And I think you would be a good one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, later in the episode, we do find out that there was a, a second reason that he wanted her. We find it out, I think, a little bit before this when Crace is talking to Talon and he says, yes, if she agrees to come with us on her own, then we will tell her. And so you you know there's something else going on. And then at the very end, Crace is holding a chip. And he said, oh, if she'd only seen what was on this chip, she would have been the most happy among us, which is interesting in a couple of reasons, because I think it, it is him lumping himself um, up with the Moya crew, which I don't think he likes to do because <laughs> he sees himself as a special snowflake. But also, I think it gets at a greater truth, which is that nobody in this extended family is very happy. Yeah. Yeah, they're in a very difficult situation, and it's it's a tough life that they live. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Do you think that Crace... This kind of gets back to my question of Crace, because here Crace asks her in this kind of almost very patronizing way, where he was like, you were raised institutionally by the <laughs> peacekeepers, whereas my parents were moral and upright, and I see you developing morality. You you just might be moral, too. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> And so I don't know, do you think that it is do you think that it is just for Talon's sake? Do you think that it is Crace's loneliness or do you think that it is Crace beginning to have romantic feelings for Aaron that kind of prompt this ask? 
I think it's a combination of all, but he's hiding it behind Talon. Mm -hmm. I can definitely see Crace being lonely and wanting to have someone else like him aboard that Talon would also accept. And I kind of see it as like Crace trying to build a family. You know, he got the kid, but now he kind of wants the wife again. You know, Mm -hmm. they had the bad breakup, but now he wants her back because dealing with Talon on his own is either hard or he thinks Talon would benefit from it or... You know, he wants some companionship for himself. I and mean, we talked last episode, Aaron was potentially offering sex for helping them out. And mm-hmm. I don't think he's demanding that specifically here, but he's offering her a place. You know, he's offering her a home because mm-hmm. the other thing that he does to to frame it is, is like, well, Moya might not recover. John might be die and everyone else is going to go on their separate ways. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? And... If you want, you can come stay with us. Like, we were welcoming you you into our spaceship happy family home. Please come join us. You know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think he's like family building in a way. Hmm. I I would maybe buy that. That's interesting. I think that, huh, Christ building family. Yeah, I don't don't think. I I don't think he thinks about it that way. But the structure of it, to me, feels that way. Yeah, no, and I see what you're saying. I think what's interesting about Christ reaching out to Aaron at all is because the the real first time that they met was in Nerve Hidden Memory. You know what I mean? Because before that, she was just the soldier that was kind of talking back to him. And then he offhandedly declares her contaminated. And he literally doesn't, even though he's sending messages to her, he doesn't even recognize her voice or really remember who she was. Do you know what I mean? Until Mm -hmm. hidden memory when she leaves him in the Aurora Terror being tortured. Whereas to Aaron, Crace was this like larger than life figure who had this disproportionate impact on her life. So I kind of feel like, what to Crace must just seem like this very simple offer of like, hey, come and hang out with me on my really cool PK ship because you're the only other PK I know that is not actually a peacekeeper. You know, like, whereas to her, it's like literally her having to forgive the man that ruined her life and destroyed her in certain ways. And going back several years too, or several cycles too, because remember it was under Crace's command that Velaric from mm-hmm. the way we weren't that she turned him in over that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I don't know. So I feel like what's interesting here is that you know I think from Crace's standpoint this is oh yeah let's get back Talon's mom you know mm-hmm. and from but from Aaron's this just must be such a loaded question because in the past she has been very empathetic towards Crace you know. She has been willing to give him much more the benefit of the doubt than anybody else. But at the same time, I'm like, she does have this really layered history with him that Mm -hmm. I think he just almost doesn't even see. Yeah, I could see that. At the same time, though, at the end, she thanks him for the offer. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, she has this, there's this power imbalance, right? He was the captain, she was the grunt. And she has come to the point where she is now his equal, Mm -hmm. And they both know it, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what it it feels more like a meeting of equals when they talk to each other these days. Mm -hmm. Not that she's accepting or anything, but, but just like, he's finally acknowledging that she 
she is his equal in a lot of ways. Well, not quite, as you said. He was quite patronizing when he told her that, yo, you might have morals <laughs> too. But, you know, that, that, that sta- she has that standing, I guess, is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to get at. And I think she's acknowledging when she says thank you at the end, which is why that quote went on for, for longer, that she does have a place with him, that he's thought of her and is somewhat worried about her, even if he has underlying mm-hmm. motives for it. You know, it's still very kind of him and, I don't know, kind? I don't know. Maybe not kind, but she still has a place to go, even Mm -hmm. if it's not the best place. And she does love Talon, so I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, too, as kind of more the meeting of equals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something like that. And what's interesting, though, is even as you're saying that, it does make me kind of think that, like, so they go from this, you know, power imbalance of him, the captain, her, the grunt. But whenever you have somebody asking, do you want to come with me? it automatically gives that person, the person who's saying yes or no, they automatically have more power. Yeah. So kind of even by asking this question, it's kind of shifted to this position where Aaron is the one that now has the power to decide. And I, I don't know. So the, yeah, I like this idea of a power imbalance. I think that looking at future episodes where Grace and Aaron interact, we'll have to keep an eye for kind of how it develops. Yeah, it's a lot of good stuff to think about with the two of them because I think they have a complicated relationship that's not easy to parse. Yeah, for certain. And what's nice, though, is that the writers don't really forget about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, they Mm -hmm. kind of, the characters move on and they grow. And while I I kept talking about, you know, this, like, layered past that Aaron kind of has with Crace... It, it does appear like she may have forgotten it because she isn't like, well, you kicked me out of the peacekeeper, so I am not going to forgive you. But at the same time, you can tell that the actors and the writers are both aware that even though she as a character has kind of moved on, that it's still there. It still exists mm-hmm. in her backstory. I, I don't know. I guess I'm specifically thinking of Teen Wolf, where like they had this character that was essentially like mind raped by another character. And then like two seasons later, they interact like nothing has happened. And it was like literally very, very clear that the writers had just forgotten that that occurred. So I actually haven't seen season uh, Teen Wolf past season three. But I think for Erin specifically, she has grown a lot. And I think she's grown in a way that she ultimately likes. Like she is happy to be out of the peacekeepers. And -hmm. the other thing is distance does make it easier sometimes to make those transitions between seeing someone who hurt you in the past. You know, she's been basically Mm -hmm. away from him for a year. I mean, yes, they've crossed paths, but it hasn't been in her face at all. And the other thing is, I don't, you know, the consequences of him ruining her life have ultimately been ones that she's embraced. You know, so I don't see it as the same kind of trauma that you would necessarily with Lydia's position. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm glad you knew exactly who I was talking about. (laughs) I remember that part of it. I just have a a, a, a season four. (laughs) No, I literally haven't watched past season uh, three or 4.5, something like that. I've I've given up on Teen Wolf. (laughs) Yeah, I, I watched season three and then I was done. Yeah. So. That kind of caps what's going on with Aaron and Crace, and I think we're going to have to just keep an eye on what happens between the two of them going forward. Mm-hmm. But Dargo and Jothi are still struggling to build that bridge that we talked about in the last episode, where on the one hand, they both clearly love each other and they both clearly care about each other, but they just are not able to ever really connect in terms of how they see the future and how they see each other. Mm-hmm. And... One of the first things that they talk about is Jothi's tankas, right? So he's 
got a couple of them been cut off and they're with the surgeon. So Dargo wants to have them fixed. And here's the conversation that happens between the two of them. If I take you I don't want to have him repaired. He's a surgeon. We have currency. I'm sure Father, you're not listening All right, to Roger, me. I'll take care of it. When he just tried to force this chink of stone down my what throat. What did I just say? Oh. I can't see why you wouldn't want your tankers restored. I mean, as a Luxon. I'm only half Luxon. And for many cycles, I didn't even want to be that. You cut yourself. You mutilated your own tankers. You hate me that much. It's okay. So we find out that Jothi did the damage to himself because he didn't want to be identified as Luxon or he had anger issues, as Luxon sometimes do, mm. over being Luxon. This is one of those conversations that really does feel like a parent-child conversation because Jothi's saying one thing, Dargo's not listening, Jothi says you're not listening, and they're talking about one superficial thing that really is something else underneath. Mm-hmm. which is how Jothi feels about himself and his relationship to his father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, and also I think that kind of that ending quote of it doesn't hurt anymore, it can kind of be read in a couple of ways. I think that f- he's saying physically it does not hurt anymore, but also almost a little bit like I don't have that same anger anymore or kind of like mm-hmm. you're here now, so I don't need to feel that anger anymore. Yeah, but at the same time, he's not willing to have the surgery done mm-hmm. to repair himself. So there's there's still some residual conflict, residual whatever that he's feeling about how he looks and how he relates to his father and relates to his heritage. Mm-hmm. The self-mutilation is really complicated because I keep going back to that conversation that Scorpius and Jothi had where... Essentially, Scorpius was like, so which part of yourself do you hate more? And at the time, Jothi was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're no. talking about. Yeah. yeah. But then it, I guess it it does turn out that maybe he does. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, yeah. I don't know, but I don't even know if it's like hating himself so much as just hating the situation or hating how his looks are perceived by others. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, the other part is he's half Luxon, is what he points out. And I think he pointed this out last episode as well, that being a half-breed, that being part one thing and part another just complicates things even more, right? Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't look fully Luxon, but he has all the markings of it. But he doesn't look fully Sebastian either. So, you know, the self-mutilation could be an attempt to look more one way than the other, you know? Mm -hmm. And so also, it's like, to me, it also reads a little bit like cutting, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a way to control something. And as a slave, he didn't have any control over anything else in his life, except this one thing that he could do to himself and hurt himself. Mm-hmm. But it was still a reassertion of his control over his body and over his self himself as a person. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's like a way of controlling, mm-hmm. you know, and actually, he kind of does bring up that idea of slavery again later. But before we bring it up, I want to kind of bring Chiana into this narrative also. Yeah. So Chiana and Dargo are dating, as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> Extensively. We've walked in on them several times now. But ever since Jothi has been around, Dargo has been really 
cold towards Chiana. So I want to play a clip of that so we can kind of see how she's feeling. Doggo, the surgeon said it's it's a numbing anesthetic, okay? So so don't breathe too much, and all right? And she all right, already. Couple... I remember. What's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? Uh, I'm just I, I'm trying to have a relationship. And you think I'm not? Listen, Chiana. I have to understand, it has been so long since I've seen my Darko, son. I know how long it is. There is no one, no one who has lived this dream of finding your son with me. You're gonna help, Dagger? Couldn't you wait a couple of microns, Stark? I was talking to Gianna. And when he's saying that to Stark, Gianna has walked off. Because she is done with Dargo being a jerk to her, which is basically what he's doing, you know? So jerky. Uh, it's, uh, I understand there's extenuating circumstances, but that is not the way you talk to your partner. No. You just don't. Not if you want the relationship to survive. No. no yeah, yeah. Saying like, what? You know, and earlier in the episode, he kind of roared at her like, what? You know, and, she, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, dude, no. And I think that... Chiana's point here about her having, I love that phrase that she uses. There's no one who has lived that dream the -hmm. way that I have. And it's kind of like she, she really saw them as a partnership, which meant that she incorporated his dreams into herself. Yeah. And I think that he didn't really see her as like that. I I don't know. I, I really, this conversation hurts. And I don't think the audio quite did justice to how mean his reaction to her was like it was yeah it was storminess there's huffiness there's turning away there's all this body language that's very dismissive on dargo's part of chiana and her opinions of what's going on and it's a lack of respect too you know Mm -hmm. and he does not respecting that she's trying to warn him about the gas that's going on and you heard stark in the background who's kind of high just the whole situation is him making it about himself and he's like look Chiana I'm being mean to you because I just got Jothi back so you have to understand that's why I'm being mean to you so deal with it you know Mm -hmm. and it's just it's such a shitty thing to say well yeah and also I think because from Dargo's perspective he's dealing with the fact that his son is apparently cutting all and he and Dargo is maybe not incorrectly reading it as that Jothi does not want to be half Luxon Mm -hmm. and so from his perspective he's saying I just got Joffy back and there's all these issues that in my imaginary Joffy reunion, we did not have because in my imaginary Joffy reunion, everything was perfect. And so he's trying to kind of reconcile that reality. But at the same time, I'm like, this is your partner who has done a lot to help you and has backed you in situations when no one else was. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I just get really... I kind of do feel like this is ironically not the reason that we thought they were going to break up. Like we thought they were going to break up over Chiana being Chiana, but instead we're break they're breaking up over Dargo being Dargo. Yeah. That's a really great way of putting it actually. And Dargo has this vision of how the future is going to be. And that's part of, part of the problem and that's like him and Dar- and Jothi and Chiana are going to be this happy little family and they're going to go buy a farm. I'm going to play this next conversation which is between Jothi and Chiana who are sitting with Pilot and since Pilot and Moya are getting treated Pilot is also very high right now 
and it's kind of great. But you actually, we actually find out more about what's going on in Dargo's head from this conversation. You know what my dad wants to do with his share of the money? Buy a farm. Really? Hmm. He wants to grow prouser fruit and make wine. I don't want to live on a farm. I've been a slave. I've been chained in a mine. He wants to live the quiet life. I want to live loudly. Oh, I didn't know that. I, um... I guess it was gonna be just you two. <gasps> you two, Chandler. Pilot, you're high, okay? I am no higher than life I've ever been. My position is fixed. No, 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 I'm, I, I mean, the drug in Moya, it's... It's messing with your brain. He's been using my DRDs to practice. Wanna see? Secret. Jenna. You know that I have to spend a lot more time with Jothi, so I was hoping we could all find a quiet place and uh, settle down together. I was hoping you would consent to be my wife. <laughs> All right. First tip never tell Pilot your secrets and then let him get high. Right? <laughs> I just right. love that. Poor Pilot. That's like Pilot being high and then Stark and. Dargo have a moment of being high and those like the only moments of levity in this entire episode so I appreciate them yeah we might have to play the Dargo and Stark one actually let's just play it because it's hilarious <laughs> okay. it is hilarious this is Dargo I don't feel my tongue whose fault is that I feel you uh, uh, so while pilot is revealing dargo's deepest darkest secret <laughs> dargo's <laughs> high as a kite yes um the other thing is i was laughing i'm like dargo why did you feel the need to record yourself doing this was it so he mm-hmm. could like check and make sure he sounded cool or i think so i think dargo would be concerned about that because you know he's terrible with women yeah that's we've true. seen it over and over and over again and shiana being Chiana is the only reason he's good with her because she's just willing to roll with his awkwardness. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, you can hear in that first clip we played, getting back to Jothi and Chiana, like Dargo has told Jothi these plans, but not Chiana these plans. And so Chiana is hurt by not being included in it. And she feels like, oh, so I'm not invited. And, and Jothi is like, oh, my opinion wasn't asked for what kind of life I want to have. And so they're both having these really fundamental differences of assumption with Dargo. Or Dargo is making assumptions on their behalf without talking to them about it, which it just it don't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I think the other thing to realize about Dargo that's kind of interesting here is like, I, I don't really think he's thinking through how awkward that must be for everybody involved. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because here Jothi has been living for, you know, a really long time with kind of this mythology of his mother and his father, you know, who were so madly in love. And then, you know, Romeo and Juliet style, one was killed before loving the other. And then he shows up and his dad is banging this like hot person (laughs) his own age. 
you know, Dothy's yeah. own age. And then apparently now he also wants to marry her, which yeah. I'm like, that must be a little awkward for Jothy. <laughs> yeah. And as we mentioned, after Aaron, Aaron goes down, Chiana is just hanging out with Jothy and ends up taking comfort from him. There's this explosion of UST between them and they almost kiss and they're only stopped by Dargo walking in. So there's this really awkward triangle going on. And on the one hand, like, I get where Chiana's coming from with this whole situation. Mm-hmm. Dargo's being a jerk to her. She's got this connection to Jothy because they're similar ages. At the same time, it's, like, kind of incestuous. Super squicky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, like, strictly incest, but it's it kind of has that, that uh, something to it. I don't know. It's just awkward. Yeah, it's, it's awkward. I'll give you that it's awkward. I really like Chiana and Darga because I think they bring out really good things in each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Dargo does need to be brought out of his kind of, like, me, man, you, woman, mm-hmm. you know, kind of philosophy Definitely. on women. And I think Chiana does need a steadying influence. She needs somebody that's not going to, like, that's not going to push her to do things that are worse for her. She needs somebody who really wants the best for her. But at the same time, when you see Jothi and Chiana together, it's two people who are the same age who both like living loud and living large yeah. and yeah. who kind of just seem to come at life from the same perspective. And also they've had similar backgrounds in the sense that Chiana has also been on the run for a really long time. And Chiana has also seen seedier parts of the galaxy than Dargo has. And Chiana has also had to do things that probably she has not told Dargo about because she knows how yeah. he would judge her. And so I think that, they're just coming at it as two characters that if there wasn't Dargo involved, I think they would still want to be involved with each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. And I that's why I'm like, you can clearly see the connection between Shanna and Jothi. And I think, I think it is not a wrong thing for them to get together, if that makes sense. It's mm-hmm. just because Dargo is his father. It's just, it's not that the relationship is bad or wrong or anything like that. It's just the situation with the three of them is awkward not it's awkward and it's not your usual love triangle yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it yeah because it's not like two men competing for the same girl's affection kind of thing it's it's kind of more complicated than that yeah and I think that what gets me about the Jothi and Chiana thing is that it really is kind of developing under Dargo's nose because he is handling both of them so poorly you Mm -hmm. know like if he had been better (laughs) to Chiana (laughs) if he hadn't been such a jerk to her probably she wouldn't have been looking to Jothi at all she wouldn't have been interacting with him but you kind of get the feeling that when she and Jothi are hanging out with Pilot it's mostly to bitch about Dargo it's mostly because Chiana's like yeah your dad's being kind of a jerk and Jothi needs somebody to talk to to be like he has this imagined life where I who have never lived am going to be living on a farm which sounds horrible (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, that's it exactly, because Dargo's not talking to them, so they're talking to each other about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I I will admit that I'm kind of team Jothi Chiana. <laughs> <laughs> My allegiance has shifted. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't fault, the, fault you for that. So that brings us to Aaron's funeral, which, uh 
I yeah, I cried again because it's just heartbreaking. They're in this ice cavern. She's going into one of the stasis pods that the Diagnosian and Grunschlag, his sidekick, used to keep body parts. And um, we have a brief inf- we had a brief introduction to them earlier where where for John's surgery he needs some sort of part. Is it like replacement brain or cerebral fluid or something? I don't know. But yeah. anyway, they talk about getting him a donor match and they find a couple of bodies. And I'm only mentioning that because that'll become important later. So Aaron's funeral is just, it's really touching in a lot of ways. And it's, there's this operatic music going on. Every one of the crew has a little special tribute for her. Zan officiates and actually kind of has some really nice love, you know, poetry about moving on to the next life and going with grace and all these things. Mm -hmm. So Dargo leaves her his Qualta blade, which going back to their friendship and how important that blade is to him and his family that he's leaving it with Aaron, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's huge. Yeah. It's, it's big. I think it goes back to kind of their interaction in the last episode where they do see each other as, as equals, as warriors, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, and then Rigel leaves her something, but it looks valuable. And he kind of says something along the lines of, you deserve this more. And it's really yeah. touching for Rigel. I know. Instead of stealing his, her stuff, he's giving her something. I think it's one of his things from Hyneria, you know, mm-hmm. one of his status symbols from Hyneria. I don't remember what Chiana, does Chiana give her anything? or she just, Chiana just like holds her hand. Hand? And That's what like, I thought. I don't know. And this goes back to kind of that we do have a lot of room in this show for like male female friendships and male male friendships. But I really wish I always wish there was more breathing room for like women Mm -hmm. talking to each other and being friends. But I don't know, just Chiana like holding her hand and getting all broken up. It really did remind me that like they are characters that are friends, that she and Chiana Mm -hmm. are friends. They are not strangers. They are not just roommates. They're friends. Yeah. And then John comes up and ask for Dargo's knife and he's wearing shackles because they know he is compromised and he takes a lock of Aaron's hair which is uh the look on his face I mean Ben Browder knocks it out of the park again with the emotion going through John Crichton at Aaron's death and it is just again heartbreaking mm-hmm. and there's kind of this moment when John is holding the knife where you are kind of concerned that he's going to hurt himself mm-hmm. yeah you know definitely he's, he's really broken up about what his body did to Aaron yeah yeah so then John goes to get the brain surgery no one else mm-hmm. is around Scorpius shows up and maybe we should play that clip yeah Technology I've waited so patiently for makes more sense. <laughs> Don't need a translator microbe for that one, do we? You've cost me much. And I do not suffer disappointment well. I condemn you, John Crichton to live so that your thirst for unfulfilled revenge will consume you so to set that up a little bit 
John has had the surgery. The diagnosis has snipped memories and sometimes cut memories from his mind. Um, so he's been awake for the process. And one of those potential memories that was cut that was open-ended was all about Aaron. And we don't find out if he keeps it or not in that scene. And then Scorpius walks in and knocks the Dianotion out with by breathing in his face because they're so sensitive that they can't handle germs from regular people outside of their uh, sterilization zone. And then we have John, who can't speak because of brain surgery, struggling to say anything with completely helpless at Scorpius's mercy. And Scorpius picks up the chip. And I think it says really interesting things about Scorpius that his inclination, now that he has what he wants... And now that John is so paralyzed in a lot of ways, I mean, not physically, but he can't talk, he's stuck, that he's like, live and have unfulfilled vengeance. And I hope that makes your life miserable. <laughs> I'm like, Scorpius, I think that says something about you, dude. Yeah. Yeah. In more ways than one. Yeah. I think what I really got from that, from the unfulfilled vengeance and him leaving, letting John live is kind of that I think Scorpius more so than John, like Scorpius really saw John's inability to tell him about the wormhole knowledge as like making him Scorpius's nemesis. John also saw him, saw Scorpius as his nemesis, but that was because Scorpius was hunting him and trying to cut Mm -hmm. his brain open. Whereas I think Scorpius was like, you didn't give me what I wanted exactly when I wanted it. So now I'm going to leave you a tortured life. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, Scorpius's fixation on on vengeance and and leaving people to be as miserable as possible. Mm-hmm. Just knowing where Scorpius comes from because I've seen the show before. It's just I I find it very telling that that's what he chooses to, for John mm-hmm. on a on a what's it Watsonian level as opposed to a, a Doyleist level where we can't kill off our main character yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the other thing I think about that is that the neural clone. It always used to, to both John and Natira, it was kind of like, well, once, you know, to John, it was like, well, once he gets the wormhole knowledge, you know, and the, and the chip, he's going to, you know, you'll die a quick death, you know, Mm -hmm. quick, painless death. And then to Natira, that was also the clone's kind of solace was, you'll die a painless death. And so I think it's interesting that at this point, Scorpius is so mad that he's not even like going to give John the painless death anymore. He's like, no, your death is going to be because of unfulfilled vengeance. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Scorpion, your neuroses. Yeah. You could write a PhD about them, I guess. (laughs) So what would you give this episode? Okay. I would give it a five for like just sheer culmination of season two. I think it's a brilliant ending as much as I kind of hate it. I kind of do hate this episode a little bit just because it's so hard to watch and every single storyline except for pilot and everyone else being high is, it's just hard. It is hard. And I think that's why it's brilliant because it doesn't pull any punches. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. I, I easily give this one a five. I think it's because this one, I mean, I know we only gave the, I know we only gave um, Liars, Guns, and Mini Part 3. I know we only gave it like a four, but at the same time, I'm like just the level of difference. This one just felt complete to me where it felt like mm-hmm. all the different plots had breathing room. It felt like there was action in it, but it wasn't like the action was the whole episode. 
it was just enough. It was like the right amount of action and it was the right sort of action. Cause I feel like for me, you know, action for action's sake, I mean, I will happily watch like all of the action movies, all your superhero action movies, but I'm like, give me any day a scene of John and Aaron in fighter pilots talking to each other with like all this emotional stuff going on as they're in an action scene. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. And, and this one had not just that scene, but many other beats to it that really, really felt like the fulfillment of the season's promises. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And it's a killer cliffhanger too, because it's John strapped to the table with his brain hanging out and Scorpius walking off. And you don't know if anyone else is around to hear him. Mm-hmm. To hear him screaming. And he can't, he's screaming and he can't talk. Mm-hmm. And you don't know if he did, deleted his memory or had his memories of Aaron cut out, which is just like wrenching. Yeah. Such a heartbreaker. Yeah. All right. So next week we will not be bringing you an episode. So if you're listening in lieu of rewatching, sorry, you're going to have to wait for <laughs> season of death the season three episode one opener but we will be doing a recap show kind of talking about our feelings about season two yep and we hope you will join us for that and we are farscape friday podcast we are at gmail we are at Dreamwith, we are at tumblr and we are farscape friday on twitter uh we like talking with folks so drop us a note and uh we will see you next time bye bye, bye.